So today I'm really happy to welcome on the show co-founder and managing partner at Superlayer, Mahesh Valanki. Welcome, Mahesh. So really excited to get into what you're working on, background. I know you and your co-founders have an incredible background. And I think as, as builders, as people that have backed significant players, scale-ups in the space, the fact that you're here playing in Web3 is real testament to the maturity of the space. You guys describe yourselves as a Web3 venture studio incubating tokenized consumer products. And really the goal is kind of building this next blue chip consumer crypto product, something we're all waiting for, you know, outside of maybe exchanges. It's very debatable if we've achieved anything that's blue chip or, or, or mainstream in, in Web3 yet. As I said, have have a very, really strong background, a number of uh, co-founders, including uh, Kevin Chu. You've had a number of exits, in, including in, in the billions. And I know that you personally Personally, have been involved very much in, in the Web two cycle, going all the way back to City and M and A and IPOs for a number of um, very significant players, including Zillow, Groupon, Facebook, etc. But as I said, we'll get into your your background a little bit later. So let, let's start at the top end. It'd be great to know you and and your co founder and how you arrived at Superlay. To start off, my name is Mahesh Balanki. Going way back, I was born in Maryland, uh, lived in San Francisco for over a decade, just moved back to the DC area uh, with, my, with my family, excited to be here. But yeah, I started my career as an investment banker at Citi way back in 2010, uh, out in Silicon Valley. Uh, this was when the huge wave of IPOs was coming to market. So I worked on a bunch of IPO and M&A transactions in the consumer internet space with companies like Zillow, Facebook, Groupon, Yelp, et cetera. After that, I went on to become an investor at a top Silicon Valley VC firm called Redpoint Ventures, also in you know in Menlo Park. And there I also focused on consumer internet. I invested at the earliest stages in companies like DraftKings and Guild Education and Nubank and Nextdoor, all of which are, are unicorns or, or public companies now. And then in 2018, I actually got together with a founder of one of our portfolio companies, uh, Kevin, Kevin Chu, who you mentioned earlier, who was previously the founder and CEO of, of a company called Kabam, um, which is one of the most successful free-to-play you know, gaming companies in the, in the space. Exited Kabam for a unicorn valuation. He, he, he and I were, were just chatting about the potential for crypto and games. And he was, he was thinking about it from the vantage point of the problems Kabam had. You know, and the, and the, pro- the problems that free-to-play game developers had, which I'm, to get into what, you know, what got us excited. But fast forward, we, we ended up launching a crypto holding company at the time with funding from A16Z and, and a bunch of other great investors. We launched several projects in the space over the past uh, four or five years. The first being Forte, which is the most well-funded blockchain game infrastructure project in the space today. We founded Rally which was the pioneer in social tokens and still operating, you know, operating today. Both these projects are well-funded and, and run by, you know, really fantastic teams now. And so more recently, Kevin and I have been freed up to go create Superlayer, which was a Web3 venture studio to keep doing what we do best, which is taking companies from zero to one, you know, starting new things in quick succession, especially in this time in crypto where we don't know exactly what's going to stick. Right. And so it's a lot like the early days of Facebook or the App Store, where it's like, hey, let's let's launch a bunch of things with like really great consumer experiences and see what categories are working, you know, what we can learn um, and see what can become the next blue chip projects in crypto. So what was it about Kevin or you that that made you kind of combine? Why was that the winning winning team? Well, it was it was more than just us, too. It was it was Kevin. It was a couple of his um 
uh, key lieutenants at Kabam. We also had a couple, uh, or really a, one game infrastructure founder who was a friend of ours too, um, named Josh Williams, who's actually the CEO of Forte right now. He had previously uh, built a, a the prede- essentially a predecessor to Unity, a really successful game engine, which had a, a, a long and tenured experience in the game infrastructure space. And so we kind of had the game infrastructure background, um, you know, we had and we had the sort of the game studio, you know, building games background. And I was looking at crypto from a venture perspective, you know, really, really heavily over the years. And we just had a, a really good, you know, cultural fit between us. And so that was the, you know, it was just a great, great working relationship. Very cool. So, I mean, you, clearly there's this origin or kind of baseline in, in gaming. What's the weighting in your, I guess, thesis? And then also like range of activities in web three gaming versus you know what else what other categories are you guys looking at yeah gaming is just kind of how we had our initial inspiration if, if you look at technology generally games has always been a leading indicator of of what's to come in consumer and so we that's kind of what helped us define what we were going to do over the years and it really came down to like you know if you just take a studio like kabam you know, Kabam and most other free-to-play, all free to, other free-to-play game developers are in the business of selling a digital item to a player, a whale, you know, the few whales that, that exist in a game, and selling that sword to a player over and over and over again. Every week, there's some new items. Try to sell it for as high a price as possible to these whales. The rest of the users don't pull out their wallet. You know, they're kind of cannon fodder for the, the whales who have all the, the good stuff in these games. And this is like a really fatiguing model for the game developer who has to, you know, create the game around these whales uh, for the whales who are just like you know, spending all this money on these these items and for these 99% of players who are, are, are kind of left out of the loop. And so the model has gotten very tired. And so when CryptoKitties came around in 20, I guess, 2017, we were like, wow, this, imagine if you could just like sell this, you know, that, that digital item to the player once and then the players could just trade this, this actual real property to each other over and over and over again, like hundreds of times over, like a real economy, the game developer could just take a small fee on, on marketplace trades. Like, wouldn't that be a better model? It would make for a much more longer lived game. All the players would have more fun. It'd be easier for the developer, uh, just make for a better game and better economics too. And so that's theoretical, right? But like that, that is kind of what we thought about with the power of digital property that's like actually property that you could trade, um, you know, in a, in a peer-to-peer way. And so that's kind of how we started Forte, and uh, which which is essentially a, a bunch of different tools in a, in a platform that allows game developers to create that type of experience. Uh, but then we said, hey, you know, like if you have digital assets and digital tokens, fungible tokens, non fungible tokens, you should be able to employ that in other areas like the creator economy, like social networks, of course, building games, um, or, or even you know, consumer fin, you know, in consumer fintech as well, right? Just in terms of thinking about crypto as a, as an extension of your you know, consumer portfolio. So it's still, nobody knows exactly where the initial traction is is going to be found, but we thought games was a really interesting thesis and downstream from games are all sorts of other, like more digitally native consumer experiences where people will care about a certain asset or you know, a representation of their time spent on, a, on an application or a website. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting distinction, you know, this kind of shift, mental shift from understanding this kind of primary issuance or sale of assets as the main source of revenue from a 
very small subset of your user base to actually the secondary market, um, you know, a very small percentage of the secondary market being the kind of primary driver. It's still relatively polarized. I'd be interested to get your perspective, but there are still some gaming publishers and studios that very much see, yeah, Web3 is only really ever going to be interesting to our whales. They still use that terminology. Um, are you know high rollers versus say you know Animoca, who are very much I, I would guess aligned with you and, and this kind of democratization uh, or this long tail of, of digital consumption. Where do you think the gaming industry is at, and does it matter what the ma- main kind of gaming publishers think about Web three? Is that relevant? Is it still going to have its uh, men- momentum as, a, as an industry without that support? I think there's a few things there. One, I think it's more about using all these all these uh, token-based gameplay mechanics to create more player paths. So yes, the whales will have an ability to spend a million dollars in a game if they wanted to, and there's maybe there's a reason for them to do so. Um, there's some players who want to engage in the economic aspect, the trading aspect of the game. But the other 99% of players, you know, what if you what if they could earn a token, right? Just for you know, playing Candy Crush or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, I'm a great player. I played put a lot of time to this. I, I got a 10 cents worth of, you know, of, of a token. Does that change the ultimate LTV of that player? How often they come back to the game just to get something for free, right? And you can do that if you set up the, you know, the token incentives in a particular way. Of course, in a, in a sustainable way. You know, unlike you know what we've seen in, in play to earn. Game developers, traditional game developers, are very important, right? If you if you look at uh, the crypto industry today as a TAM, as a, as a you know, as, a, as an available market, you're selling into the existing blockchain game developers. You know, there's a good amount, there's, there's, they're well-funded, but it's uh, it's a very small TAM, right? You're se- essentially selling software into, you know, a, a relatively small market today. The more efficient, you know, the bigger software market would be to sell to Web2, you know, massive Web2 companies with huge software budgets, right? You're seeing this with Reddit, Starbucks, all these you know kind of bigger Web two companies. But in games, you know our thesis, at least in starting Forte, was that the fastest way to get to tens of millions of players on chain would be to take existing games that are already out there, uh, that already have players, and adding uh, crypto loops, you know, to those existing games as opposed to building a de novo game from scratch, which you know costs a lot of money, takes years sometimes. Um, and so selling into where all the players are today, like that is, you know, for, for sure the, the most efficient path um, if they can figure it out. But to your question, what do they think about Web3? Like how, you know, is, is it feasible for them to embrace it? I think there's a lot of issues to, there's a lot to consider and there's a lot of problems that are unsolved or, or just very difficult for these game developers. They have to think about like how to get the, how to incorporate the technology to even enable these crypto assets in their games with player wallets and, what does the economic loop look like in terms of how players earn or buy these assets? How does it interact with the game without screwing up the game or pissing off players? How do you deal with compliance in an open loop situation where, where users can presumably sell and take money out of the game? Um, these are pretty complex problems. So it's like technology, the actual implementation of, of, of the technology, the compliance associated with it. Um, you know, these are all, these are all, um, uh, big big problems, right? That need to be need to be solved. So when you say uh, loops, you mean that uh, in a Web three context, that would be where could 
some of the features or functionalities of Web3 be built into an existing economic system, right? Or, or is it is it something else? Yeah, I just mean gameplay loops as in like, I'm a player, where do I first see this, this currency that I can earn or buy? Um, if there's like a digital item, like a sword, how do I encounter that item? Do I, again, do I earn it? Do I buy it? Once I have these things, what do I do with them? Does it give me a power up? in the game or a booster or is it something I just trade and, and, and sell? Is it something I can equip, you know, on my, you know, on my, on my character? So obviously all, all that depends on like the game genre and like the, what, what type of game it is. Uh, but that, that's what I mean. Like what, what is the actual utility and player experience for um, these, these digital assets? Do you think that most likely the first way a traditional conventional gamer is going to experience digital assets in, in a Web3 sense, is that going to be obvious? Uh, is it going to be explicit? Or is it going to be more of this kind of Web 2.5 Reddit approach, which is you, you kind of different verbs, you give everything different kind of names, different naming culture, and you kind of obfuscate the the, the Web3-ness? I think it's going to be obfuscated. Yeah, and that, that's what we're betting on quite a bit at, um, at Superlayer both for gaming and non-gaming applications, uh, <clears throat> we're increasingly viewing crypto as a, um, what kind of feature, what features can it bring to the table for a user, right? Can you create a really interesting rewards token that users can can earn, but it's kind of like a feature um, that's part of a really cool, like you, you come for the game and it's a really fun game or you come for the social network, it's a really you know, fun social network, but oh, by the way, there happens to be this economic loop that you know incentivizes a particular behavior that you are happy to engage with, right? And the technology today is at a point where we can create, we can we can kind of onboard users with a regular account creation process, um, set up wallets for them, uh, you know, on the back end, and have them start engaging with these these you know what look like virtual currencies um, or game currencies. But you know, at some point they can hit sell. They can hey they can hit transfer to a wallet, right? And there's there's you know an education process that's going to be be there for that, but but no, we definitely view the onboarding as like as seamless as possible, and the the experiences um, such that we're not like beating users over the head with hey create your you know your your, your wallet your phantom wallet and go you know go, go take your tokens to this liquidity pool and figure out how to how to sell it. Um, I think that's all stuff the users can do, uh, but but more about how do we how do we create interesting features in a product um, using crypto. Um, earlier you mentioned IP and I mean, it's an interesting point, right? I think that maybe a year, year and a half ago, a lot of the focus was on um, native IP. How can we create you know, Web3 native brands and IP and franchises? The last six months or so have been very much about, okay, you know, a lot of that, the, the token economy's didn't function in a bear market. And so the focus became on, well, how do we bring in established IP across a number of different sectors today? So what are we like? Last couple of days of March 23, Disney have, uh, apparently they're closing down their metaverse division. I mean, I imagine Web3 was just a, a small subset of that rather than necessarily everything that it was about. But I think there was this, this kind of first, it was about net, uh, metaverse native brands or Web three native brands, and and then it was about okay, that didn't quite work. We're going to bring in 
we have existing IP franchises come into the space. Um, and now a lot of those organizations are retreating, not necessarily because they don't believe in Web3, but because they've got other pressures, right? Disney's got its own own things going on. It's, it's looking at divesting a number of holdings. It's restructuring. Where do you think we're at? Where do you think this balance between native, native brands born in the space, native to the space versus existing IP kind of transitioning? Where do you think the adoption is going to be coming? The momentum is going to be coming? Yeah, it's an interesting thing there with these Web2 companies. I think on one hand, a lot of them probably got into crypto for, for one of two reasons. One, they're either given a great deal by one of the you know, L1 or L2 chains to, you know, to uh, you know, get into, um, you know, bring some IP into the space. Um, and in doing so, the brand probably learned a lot about crypto and, and uh, you know, engage the fans in some new ways. Uh, and, and, and the second is just like, if you can, you know, if you're Disney and you can mint, uh, or if you're Porsche and you mint a Porsche NFT collection and you can drive a bunch of primary sales and, and, and some, some royalties on an ongoing basis, um, sure, you know, why not? If there's a market for that, um, they'd be happy to, to engage in that sort of uh, e-commerce, I, I guess. Um, but the use cases that are being contemplated by these brands generally are uh, you know, probably outside of Reddit and Starbucks. They're fairly shallow, right? It's like, hey, how do I mint some NFTs with some cool narrative and, and design around them and, and you know, make some money and create a Discord server, right? It's, there's not much to it. And so I think those things are not going to be um, that interesting or, or sustainable. Um, you know, some companies may take it a lot more seriously, but at the end of the day, it's it's it, it's it comes down to like what what we're you know what we're doing, I think, which is what I you know I, I hope other crypto natives are, are doing as well, which is how do you build uh, if you're focusing on mainstream consumers, how do you build a consumer product like a social network, like a uh, a fintech, a consumer fintech app or a game, and then how do you layer on you know a tokenized mechanic? Whether that's an NFT or through a fungible token, uh, in order to provide a, a net, you know, positive uh, experience for for users, and I give you a specific example. You know, one one concept is like a um, um, a game. You know, we're building a uh, a game where uh, a lot of these free to play games simply monetize through advertising. Um, they, you know, users, uh, yeah, players just watch a, watch an ad and then they go back to playing the free game. Um, and so what we're doing and what we're pioneering at our studio is actually something we called, we call, uh, revenue back tokenomics. Um, we'll probably come up with a better name for it at some point, but what we're, what we're doing is trying to fix some of the issues that we observed in the last cycle with play to earn, which is, just, you know, everyone's just giving out tokens to speculators willy nilly. Uh, but here, essentially what we're doing is building a game generating ad revenue, but giving most of that ad revenue back to users in the form of a network token, right? And so essentially we are uh, gating how many rewards tokens go out to active players of this game um, based on how much revenue the product itself is generating. And so we kind of shift our thinking a little bit on trying to maximize equity value in a company through revenues, and instead launching a token that the players participate in and receive rewards from um, as a as an extra incentive to you know play the game and make the game more fun. And so in this case, players will play this game. Um, you know, let's say it's a, a battle royale game, and they'll, you know they'll play for ten minutes, and at the end of it, the winner will receive a prize pot. You know, based on the the the, 
know, revenue behind the, the game. Like that, that's like a specific example where it's like a game, but potentially a, a more interesting game for players because of how the economics are a little bit different. You know, this is also true in um, a consumer, you know, like, the, for example, another example is a consumer fintech app that we're building where, you know, again, instead of taking revenue from trading fees for um, users who are buying stocks or bonds or, or whatever, you know, we take that trading fee and we use it to power a rewards token um, that users can can earn for being active users and active investors on this on this platform. And so in this case, we're using crypto and most of the incubations at Superlayer, we're, we're just sharing economics back with users while building products that they are already familiar with and already want to use, right? And using crypto as a differentiator um, in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, this shift from subsidized networks or a game theory, whether it's a protocols paying brands to to leverage you know in, introduce ip into their network would you say um these kind of perhaps sometimes perverse uh, economic systems around um you know gem one uh, play to earn you mentioned a little bit earlier this this focus or this balancing between equity and token so you know as a venture studio how are you approaching where value accrues the relationship between an equity vehicle and a token economy because obviously in a in a bull market generally people always they always bias towards the token that's what the investors want it's what gives them early liquidity and they're happy to pay a premium in in a bear market usually it's much harder to raise if it's a pure play token system in our case we're building more um centralized applications that use a, a decentralized token, right? So the token itself lives on, you know, Ethereum or wherever it's going to live. The application is, is, is centralized and um, uses the token, but the token's also just out there and can be composable into any other applications that folks want to build. Um, and so in the case of the application and who's building that application, um, that is an equity-based company. You know, we raise money through equity, get it going. There's a, a team that's, you know, building the, you know, the initial experience around the token. Um, and then at some point there will be a token launch and the equity holders will, you know, have some, some, you know, allocation of those tokens. Um, but the rest primarily will be going to the community, going to, going to users. Uh, and so we kind of, we kind of separate it. Like there's still an equity structure. Um, but the, the goal of the product is not to maximize equity value. Um, it's, it's, it's more to generate enough cash flow to keep the studio operational, um, to keep the lights on, uh, and then with the rest of the value being shared to end users. I mean, so Venture Studios, it's, it's quite a hard model to get right. Um, so actually way back um, in, in our decade-long journey in the space, we actually started out as a venture studio just because there was nothing really else to invest in, or at least the things that we were looking at to invest weren't really investable. And also, we didn't feel we had enough knowledge, really, to, to be making those investments, so we wanted to kind of dog food. Obviously, now and then is very different. The stacks, much more mature. Middleware's much more mature. Um, the asset class is much more mature. And clearly, you guys are seasoned executors. You know, within the team, you've built, invested, backed, um, very successful growth companies. Um, but how do you approach 
making decisions about effectively what you're going to invest your time and resource in as as both a investor but a founder um and is it the permanent model and vehicle or is it the thing that you do until you find one thing that kind of has this breakthrough moment and then you kind of double down yeah let me talk a little bit about what's makes super layer you know different and how we operate super layer is 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 unique from other typical your typical accelerators and incubators in that we aren't taking pitches from outside entrepreneurs you know we're not helping a batch of startups through instead we're focused on founding companies in-house and so naturally we constrain the amount of incubations that we do because we ourselves are the founders of these uh these companies so we take fewer more concentrated bets um and we're really involved in the the management and day-to-day operations of these these projects um, so what we do is we come up with the concept, we create the project, we develop and launch an alpha product, we iterate to product market fit, ideally, uh, we scale it, fund, you know, do some fundraising, um, and hopefully eventually spin the project out from the studio. Um, and it really comes down to like, to, to your point on like where the technology's at and, and you know, what the, what, you know, uh, the stack's gotten a lot better uh, for, for developers, um, but still, you know, launching any old token, Technically, is is easy, uh, but building like a functional tokenized economy with like actual consumer use cases is really, really, really difficult, and that's kind of our sweet spot. And so, like, if you're a, a first time founder, right, you got to consider um, things like uh, you know liquidity for your token, tokenomics, on ramps and off ramps, compliance, marketing, all these different infrastructure components, um, on top of building your you know, your product. Um, and it's, so it's just it's just a lot for any first time founding team, any any founding team really to take on without like a lot of capital and a lot of you know resources on the team. And so uh, I'm not sure how long this opportunity will, will be there, but at least for the next few years, there's a, th- th- this is why you're not seeing uh, a lot of great consumer use cases in crypto because if you're a scrappy founding team with not that much capital, the obvious thing for you to do is actually just to build for the existing on-chain wallets that exist today. You know, just build something in, in DeFi with a couple devs. Build some, you know, build something. Uh, um, you know, build an NFT project, right? Like those are the, the obvious things to do because there's a market there and there's a lot of capital sloshing around there. Um, and the hard thing to do is to like actually build a, you know, a product, a new product for new first time, you know, mainstream crypto users while still being a true like web three native project. That's really hard. That's more capital intensive and it requires a lot of specialization. And in some cases like experience, you know, sometimes just experience doing it. Right. And so there's just not a lot of teams that have that experience. That's the gap in the market right now. That super layer is, is, is filling. Being a web three founder is, order of magnitude harder not only are you an early stage founder but you've got additional business model risk technical risk regulatory risk um laid on top of that and so just kind of taking one shot at a time is very hard you don't get the learning you don't have the expertise that's why we're an accelerator is we kind of aggregate that learning i think venture studio is an alternative approach or an incubator is an alternative approach you kind of you, you build up that institutional learning and that just helps you go faster quicker hopefully um uh, to be more successful. So what do you think the the breakthrough moment will be? I mean, obviously, you've got a couple of startups. I'm sure, um, you know, you're hoping one of them is going gonna, is, is gonna to be that. What do you think directionally is going to be the, 
the MySpace or the Facebook moment, it, it, you know, an equivalent kind of category defining startup? It's a great, it's a great question. I think we're all trying to fig- figure that out. And there's certainly no, you know, clear, clear answer, but I think there's, there's a few things to say here. Um, the, the first is that um, the crypto is definitely like contrarian again, you know, it's just like, we're definitely in that, in that time. And it's, it's anyone's guess what will, you know, drive the bull market, but you know, I think it's a great time to, to build, you know, on one hand, what could be positive for the space is that you've got, um, and you kind of have this ongoing, you have a banking crisis go, going on right now. And it's, it's just, it's just interesting to watch, like, you know, folks like Bology, you know, Srinivasan, um, placing, you know, very wild bets on where Bitcoin, um, you know, and Arthur Hayes on, on where Bitcoin is going to go in the next 90, 90 days. Um, things like that can certainly be catalysts for the next crypto bull run. You know, you've also got things like AI and everybody's trying to make sense of AI and the implications for infrastructure, software, consumer. Um, I think it'll also naturally collide with crypto tech, right? It's like if you have a, a chatbot or an AI tool um, that needs to transact in, in some sort of value, it's hard for, for that AI to go walk into a bank and, and create a bank account and do a KYC you know, check. I think autonomous smart contracts you know, and, and, and stable coins and things like that are, are things that AI may naturally, um, there just may be some use cases that, that naturally collide, collide with, with AI. So there's, there could be something there. Um, on the negative side, you know, you have this regulatory pressure from many, you know, uh, most sovereign nations um, on crypto. And you also have this kind of overly complex technology and consumer experiences around around crypto. So there's a bunch of stuff in this, this, this storm. Um, but what, what I think or what we think is that, you know, whichever, whichever product is able to um, tokenize product is able to get like 10 million plus users, first time users into crypto. Um, I think, I think the world will go from not caring about new tokens and altcoins to, Oh my God, this is like the next hot thing. We, everybody needs to start launching, you know, launching projects like this with this type of design. Um, and I think there's a lot of contenders, right? I think a lot of the stuff we're doing Superlayer, these are all contenders. I think some of the blockchain gaming projects that are out there building from the ground up, I think they're contenders. And so I think there's a lot of great talented folks building in the space right now. And, um, you know, once sentiment, uh, inevitably changes again around crypto, I think you'll, um, I think we'll, we'll figure out what that, what that is. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I literally did a more for an experiment really, but uh, we'll probably publish it an interview with uh, chat GPT um, that I will publish as a podcast. We'll get some other AI to generate it as a voice. And, um, but I interrogated, you know, open AI on a number of things. It's openness, you know, why Elon Musk uh, thinks he invested in a, a nonprofit and what it is today, but also at what point does it think that tokenization and Web three technology could could uh, could help improve it or I- extend it? And uh, its answers were quite interesting. So I'll, I'll leave that as a cliffhanger to, to to get some clickbait into the next show. But what I would say is, look, as I said at the top, it's great to see people like yourselves, you and your co-founder, coming into space. People that know how to back execute, you know really breakthrough category defining products um i think it's a real testament to the space i think it's encouraging um and it almost makes it feel imminent that we're gonna we're gonna start to see those kind of applications as you say that can start to bring meaningful adoption 
um, that can very quickly, you know, double, travel, significantly multiply the, the global use space. Um, so it was great to interview. Good luck with everything at Superlayer. Um, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to chat. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 